join me as we skip to the end of the book. Not the ending of the story, but further in the back. Almost by the back cover. The Acknowledgements. I've always been fascinated by the acknowledgements and find myself asking questions I wish I had the answers to. Are the people they thanked still in their lives? Do they regret not including someone? What's the meaning behind this inside joke or story? Well, now I finally get the answers to my questions. In this podcast, I'll talk to the authors and explore the acknowledgements. So flip to the back of the book with me and let's start there. Hi, Sean Gibson. Hello. I'm so excited um, to talk to you about um, yourself and your writing and the book that I'm currently reading, the part about the dragon was mostly true. I'm glad someone's excited to talk to me about my life because it's (laughs) no one else is. So, well, we're going to dig into it. So get ready. (laughs) So, Sean, I want to kick it off and I would love for you to give a premise of this book. Yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to hang out with you and chat. So thank you for having me on. Um, So the book is, it's a comedic fantasy book, right? There's lots of great stories about quests and dragons and brave heroes um, and all that kind of thing. But I always thought it would be fun to sort of do the behind the music version of that. What's it really like when these adventuring heroes go on quests and finding out that it's not really so grand and epic as all that. Uh, It's actually pretty messy and stinky and boring. And so it was just an opportunity to play around a little bit with conventions of the genre and have fun with uh, a set of characters who were just utterly ridiculous. Mostly it's a cover for dad jokes. It's really 300 (laughs) pages of dad jokes. That's the whole, that's the whole goal of the book. It, it really is actually now that I'm, I'm thinking about it because I'm in the middle of reading it and have had read lots of things about poop and farts and, and all yep. of that. So um, you can tell that when I wrote it, my kids were like three and five. So <laughs> yes. there's definitely an influence from the topics of conversation at home that seeped into the book in that way. Well, one of the things, John, that was really just a cool experience for me that I realized as part of doing this podcast and talking to lots of different authors is that I'm reading the type of book that I normally wouldn't. And so that's been a really cool experience of reading something. And so you named the genre as comedic fantasy. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. this might be like the first time I'm really reading something in this genre and it really is entertaining and, and fun. I do. I feel a little bad for you because you're sort of starting at the apex <laughs> and there's just there's nowhere to go from here. I mean, you're there's reading. No the best I mean, first. So this know, is all uh, you ever need to read. And then that way you'll know that this is the best and you'll have no point of comparison to say that this is terrible. Um, yeah, no, it's 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 a fascinating sort of subgenre of I mean, fantasy is obviously a very popular, especially now widely read genre. But there's this little subset, this weird subset of it. Um, that's comedic in nature and comedy is a hard thing to write, right? Cause it's so subjective. And the minute you try to take something that people love and tweak it or satirize it, you're going to lose 90% of the audience. And so really what you're trying to do is find that core group of people who share your affinity for puns and that mix of sort of highbrow and, and very, very lowbrow humor. Um, and who recognize that, in this very beloved genre, there's a lot of stuff that is due maybe for a little bit of an overhaul, 
because there have been a lot of very white, very old people who have written these books over the course of time. And so there's a lot of opportunity to sort of say, you know, I love this stuff, but we can kind of poke fun at some of the mustier parts of it um, and, and sort of in that way, hopefully start to transform the conversation around what this should be or can be for people. So is this a genre that you also read? I wouldn't say it's my preference. I mean, I've definitely certainly read uh, in this. I think Terry Pratchett is sort of the the best known name in this space, but it's akin to Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That's sort of the sci-fi version of this, right? Um, but there are a lot of authors who sort of write comedy in this space, but I tend to read, if I'm going to read something funny, it's probably more like P.G. Wodehouse. Um, so that's that's sort of more more where I would go if I'm going to read something funny. But I do love it when I read something in this genre that has some humor as well. Okay. Well, of course, this podcast is also about the acknowledgements. So in reading your acknowledgements, which normally I don't do this and jump to the jump to the end before I've read the book, but I did in this case. <laughs> and one thing that stood out to me that I loved was you had thanked the good people at Grounded in Alexandria, the world's best coffee shop. Thank you for keeping me caffeinated and for creating a bright, kind and welcoming place for everyone who passes through your doors. And I just love that as a as a coffee person and frequenter of coffee shops that that you thanked an actual place. So tell me about <laughs> that and your experience that that led to you, including this in your acknowledgments. Yeah, uh, it's so it's funny. Most of this book was written in the backseat of strangers cars. So I tend to write on my commute. I live outside of Washington, D.C. I work in D.C. And so the only writing time I can squeeze out, I've got young kids, I've got a busy job is during my commute. And I ride share. Well, I did in the before times when people were allowed to be in enclosed places together. Um, and so you just go to a parking lot and you hop in a car with strangers and sort of the protocol is nobody talks. You can, right, if people sort of mutually agree that, oh, we can talk. But generally the, the unspoken agreement is other than hello, you don't talk. So it was like this 16 to 18 minute gloriously silent chunk of time for me to sit and pop up my laptop and do some work, right? So that's where I wrote a lot of the book or most of the book. And then toward the end, I had reconstructive foot surgery. So I ended up working remotely for a long time, again, in the before times when that was like a cool thing to do. Um, and so there's this coffee shop grounded that's about 20 minutes away from my house. So it's not super close, but it's just the most welcoming place ever. Like you walk in and it's like, everyone's happy and friendly and it's bright. And it's kind of this like rustic French themed place. And everyone is so kind. You go there enough and it's, it's the, the type of place where you walk in and they're making your drink before you get to the counter. Right. And they know um, your name. Exactly. Oh. Right. And, and so it's just that sort of atmosphere. But the thing that I really like about it is you go there and no one's ever mad. No one is ever unhappy in that place, right? It's this like little refuge from the world where you go in and no one is mad because the people that you're talking to are giving you caffeine and chocolate and all sorts of wonderful things. Um, and so I spent a lot of time there um, crutching my way around with my drinks and, and writing. And it was just a really good um, environment, especially for a book like this, where the vibe is sort of light and silly to be surrounded by this. And this sounds a little hokey, but this sort of vibe that's very up and kind and nice. Uh, it just sort of jived with the book. It was a, made it a very easy place to sit and finish it. 
what what I've always loved about working in a coffee shop too is just there's just this general like background murmur that's mm-hmm. that's like just like perfect background noise for still being productive but being around energy. So uh, I'm going to go back to your acknowledgments. Okay. Um, and you know one of the other things I I noticed was you know you were talking about your parents mm-hmm. and how basically their support of you being becoming an English major versus perhaps something else, uh, as you said, something useful. Yeah. So how was that conversation? I guess you're, you know, you're in high school and you've decided, you know, this is where you want to pursue your studies. Where did that conversation go? Yeah, it's funny. I don't, I don't remember like ever really having like a flat out conversation. It was sort of like, well, see, the one thing I benefited from is I have an older sister who has made a lot of questionable life decisions. Uh, and so by comparison, that makes me seem very rational and accomplished by just meeting the bare minimum. Right. So, um, so that made it a little easier, but like, I, I think my parents always, fortunately for me, had a high degree of trust in my judgment and just sort of said, okay, he's responsible. He's focused. He knows what he's doing. Like he's going to make decisions that are good. Um, but it's a little bit funny though, to say, okay, I'm going to be an English major and I'm going to concentrate in Victorian literature. What do you do with that? Like, what do you do? There's no practical application of that unless you're going to go teach Victorian literature. It is an entirely self-perpetuating profession. So the fact that they were kind of like, okay, you know, was just a testament to their trust in like, okay, he'll figure out some way to use this. Um, Because it it really was not a major that, that would lead to a lot of prosperous job opportunities. Because you did not end up teaching Victorian literature. Did not end up teaching Victorian literature, though. I still have a weird thing about table legs. They make me uncomfortably excited. You know, I did sort of absorb that from the Victorian lit. I like to put the tablecloths over them because I get just a little, you know, worked up about the table legs. Reminds me of real people's legs like it did the Victorians. So I did take that away from it. I mean, it sounds totally worth the the tuition. (laughs) It was... (laughs) four years. And that's what I got out of it was table legs are hot and I shouldn't look at them. So, yeah. You've, you've basically ruined, um, table legs for me for the rest of my life, Sean. Oh, oh have I ruined them or have I made them the thing you are going to shop for? I'm not sure. You're going to be the store. You're like, Oh, Oh, that's on cup. Oh, geez. Put a tablecloth on dude. Like, come on. You can't just show that in public. So so uh, along with the table legs, <laughs> you know that that's like all I can think about now. So when when you went into this, though, since you you may or may not have ended up teaching, yeah. in this case may not, did you know you wanted it to lead to you writing? I, I did. Um, I've wanted to write stories since I was about 15 or 16. Um, there's a, there's a fantasy writer named Bob Salvatore or R.A. Salvatore is his professional name. I, I sort of discovered his books at the exact right time, right? They're really ideally suited for, let's say teenage boys to discover at a point in time when you're trying to figure out what do I do about these increasingly difficult decisions in life? Do I drink a beer? Do I kiss a girl? Do I smoke drugs, cigarettes, right? There's all these decisions that go on in high school where you're trying to figure out, I have peer pressure. I have parents and other guardians telling me not to do this and people are doing this. And you're sort of just trying to figure out what's, what's my moral compass? Where does that point? 
And I didn't grow up in a religious household. Uh, I, I grew up, my parents, I think are very upstanding people, but still like you're still sort of looking for that guidance, right? Um, and, and that's what those stories were for me was this character who sort of was constantly trying to figure out what's the right thing to do and, and what's the right direction to go. And then maybe making a bad decision sometimes and sort of coming back to re-examine that and learning and growing from it. And I don't think you see that. That's sort of an uncommon thing to encounter a character who's sort of so um, transparent about saying, I don't know the answers. I'm trying to figure this out as I go. And here's what I think is right. But I might learn later on that what I thought was right was not right because now I know more things. Um, And so that was sort of a thing that made me go, wow, I learned that from reading a book about a elf killing orcs um that's pretty cool that like this author could make me think about that and so that made me say i want to write stories that affect people similarly so of course i wrote i write books about poop jokes um because it it has the same effects but the idea was just i I thought it would be really cool to be able to write stories that had an effect on people whether it is making them think making them laugh sort of changing their perspective on things or just kind of pull back for a minute and go I'm going to be in the moment in this story right here and just enjoy what this is. And either it's just going to entertain me or it's going to make me think, but it's going to pull me out of my world for a little bit. So that was kind of the point where I knew I wanted to do that. Um, But then it was funny because I got into college and I was actually going to be a creative writing major. I was not going to be a Victorian lit major Mm -hmm. because I was uncomfortable about the sexual tension of the table situation. Um, and so I met with our creative writing director in my in my undergrad days. And this was, I think I was a sophomore at the time. And he was like, so tell me about all the stories that you've written. And I was like, well, I've written a couple of short stories. I have a lot of good ideas. He's like, no, no, tell me what you finished. And I was like, oh, uh, well, you know, I'm 20. I'm in college. I'm just working on stuff. He's like, no, no. What have you done? And I was like, well, nothing really. And he was like, well, then you're not a creative writer. You like the idea of being a writer, but you're not a writer because writers finish stuff. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> Like, oh, okay. And I was really mad, right? And I left his office and then I thought about it and like, he was right, right? Like at the time I was enamored of the idea of the outcome of writing, but I hadn't really thought about the craft of writing and storytelling and how do I get there? And he was absolutely right. I later on, I took a screenwriting class with him. It was great. Like I learned a lot from him, but that was sort of the point in life where I realize that it's not just like you have to move beyond the idea of wouldn't it be cool to have written a story to I will really like the process of writing the story because those are two wildly different things so that was a that was a good thing for me to sort of get punched in the face metaphorically speaking (laughs) by a professor um, who told me that I was you know not going to get it done so now does it bring you joy to be part of that writing process then or do you still look forward to the end? No, I, I love it. I mean, I, I love doing it. It's it's hard, right? It's never easy to sit down and put words on a page. And inevitably, as you're writing, you're like, this is crap. This is crap. This is crap. Oh, that's a good sentence. This is crap. This is crap. This is crap. Um, so, you know, you, you go through that. Um, but when it's when it's working, when it's clicking, like there's something that's just joyous about being able to take an idea or an expression that's in your head and actually get it out in the way that you're thinking about it. Because that's what's so hard, right? Like, I feel like we're all the most eloquent people in the world in our heads. And then we talk and it's like, food, good, fire, bad, right? Like, we just, we can't get to the, there, there's a filter between brain and mouth that doesn't sort of connect. And sometimes when you're writing, you're actually able to make that connection. 
And that's the part that's really cool. Because then you look back at it, and you're like, I actually said the thing that I wanted to say. So that's that's fun when that happens. So I, I love that part of it. Um, and, and I used to hate plotting because like I just I just like to write dialogue, which you've probably noticed, like most of my book is dialogue and most of it is digressionary dialogue where it has nothing to do with the plot. It's really just people talking. And so as, as part of that process and, you know, you in your acknowledgments talk about writing being kind of this solitary um, thing that you do, but had, you know, so many people to think and you thanked like a, a group of friends too. Is this like a, a singular group of friends or are these like individual friendships and groups that you have? Uh, most of the, the folks that I thanked in the book are people I've known for a long time. Uh, I mean, going back to like second grade, right? So we're talking like, you know, 35 year friendships at this point. Um, and they're people who in some way or another do something creative in their lives, whether that's write or draw or program, like something that involves some element of creating something. And so, uh, or, or music, right? They all have something that they do that involves that process of trying to take an idea, an emotion, a thought, take it from your brain and put it in some medium that other people can then consume. Um, and so I, I think all those folks have just, like, it's great to talk to them uh, as we go along, even if we're not working on the same type of thing, like that process is the same. And we're all in the same boat in that we're in our forties and life is busy and we have jobs and we have children. That's where there's a connection there because it's like, okay, you understand how hard it is when you've slept for five non-consecutive hours because your children never, ever sleep. And, and so speaking of your kids never sleeping, you really mm -hmm. wrote this book when they were very young. Is that correct? Yeah. And they still don't sleep. So, you know. Um, <laughs> so you're still writing then, I assume. <laughs> yeah, well, not really, because I had no commute anymore, but that's a whole other story. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, you know, that was the challenge. In fact, this, this book was sort of the second iteration. We moved to the house that we live in now about seven years ago, like three weeks before my daughter was born. So I have a son who is eight and a half and a daughter who is six and a half. And we moved in here like three and a half weeks before she was born. And that changed my commute, right? I used to just take a bus um, and get to work. And now it's like, okay, I could either drive, which would be terrible and horrible and awful, or I could uh, do this ride sharing thing where I would like share a ride with people to the Pentagon and then from the Pentagon, take a subway and go to work from there. And I was a little bit hesitant to do that at first. Cause I was like, oh, this seems weird. I'm just going to hop in a car with people I don't know. What if they smell? What if they eat bologna for breakfast? I, I don't know. It's going to be weird. Um, and so, but I started doing that. And I was like, wow, I was like, this is actually quiet time. So I was like, what can I write in 15 minute chunks in someone's car? So I started writing this almost like choose your own adventure style story with this character, Heloise, who's the main character of the part about the dragon. And I would post it to my blog and I would say, okay, at the end of each segment, here's two options. People can vote on what's going to happen next. And so people would vote and then I would write the next segment. So it was like very bite-sized chunks. Um, and so I, I started writing that. So I wrote that whole story, which I collected as a, as a collection and put out. And then I was like, okay, I can write in a, in a circumstance like this, but it has to be this sort of like the right style, the right thing. There can't be any research involved. It's got to be sort of free-flowing. It's got to be sort of... Um, like this book's really kind of like a bunch of set pieces strung together, right? It's not sort of like a long flowing narrative. Like it's a bunch of incidents that happen. And that was the style that worked well with those bite-sized chunks of time. So that was the thing that maybe convinced me I could write a story here 
and then maybe set about writing a proper novel under those circumstances. I absolutely love that choose your own adventure type of decision-making that you use. That's amazing. Always um, good to crowdsource and see what people want to see, like what horrible things they want to put your characters through. So <laughs> that is so great. So actually, you know, speaking of your, your narrator of the story, Eloise, um, what prompted you to, to choose a female narrator of the story? It's a really good question uh, and probably a terrible choice in retrospect. Um, it was funny, you know, like around the time the book came out, there started to be a lot of dialogue about who can write from what perspective um, in a book, which I think is, is a really good conversation. And that gave me pause. I was like, oh, shoot, maybe maybe I overset my bounds here and did something that was not um, that would be uncomfortable for people or make people go, that's that's not a good way to approach it. So, you know, I, I have some questions about that, but the reason I did is just the way I originally conceived the character. Um, I just, when I started writing the predecessor thing to this, she was just this, you know, very smart ass, um, a, a bard, which for those, those listening, who don't know what a bard is in a, in a fantasy context, it's a storyteller. Um, but generally sort of a very, um, clever person who sort of like is good at pulling pulling one over on people um and so i just had this vision of this very confident half elven woman uh and i don't know why just that was like the way the character appeared in my head and i was like okay let's just do this but really i mean it's it's my voice it's i'm writing as myself as her so it's like okay it's weird because it's like me but maybe i want to be a half elven woman i don't know um but i just i, I yeah, who doesn't write those ears? Um, but I think the thing that it's is is hard for me, and this is something that I, I wrestle with, uh, and and I think it's great that we're having these conversations like across the spectrum in the literature world is like how how do we contribute to creating a more inclusive environment in fantasy when we are like me writing as somebody who is the person who for whom it has always been written, right? Um, and I can't, I can't write about the experience of being a person of color. I can't write about the experience of being LGBTQ, but I can include characters in my books who reflect those communities in a way that they're just part of the narrative, right? Um, and, and try to make it open so that anybody can see, hey, that could be part of this world, like these characters who look like me or, or, or sound like me. I don't know if that's the right approach, right? Um, but that's kind of what I tried to do here. And, and there's, there's sort of like no straight white men in the book, except for the really stupid townspeople. Um, because it was like just this this conscious act of trying to be like, all right, let's just create this group of characters who's just like totally atypical and sort of plays against type and just put them in these ridiculous situations and see what happens. Um, so that was kind of the goal. Um, so it, whether that was a good decision, I don't know. But I don't really remember what I had for breakfast this morning. So who knows? <laughs> you know what? It's, it's so interesting because... And what I'm thinking about is how this is different in this genre of fantasy versus some of the other types of things I read. And this has been on my mind because I've recently started reading some fiction novels written by South Asian authors. And mm -hmm. so, and it's been such a joy because there's not that I'm going to connect with everything they're talking about in their characters, but really for the first time, you know, in, in my forties now, and my reading books where I can connect to the characters and especially, you know, they're talking about their parents or, you know, growing up, um, you know, being Indian, Asian Indian, but then growing up in Canada or America or wherever it is. So 
that's been such a, such a joy for me to have that experience. But it, I feel like it feels different in a fantasy book, perhaps, um, where then it's not even about maybe what they look like, but it's really more about their personalities. And so I guess I say all this to say that I, I appreciate that you're adding kind of all these different personalities into your characters, because I think that's what it comes down to. It comes down to readers being able to connect with the characters or the plot or their stories or what they're going through in, in, in some kind of way. So I think you're doing that. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. And it's, you know, it's it's such a weird thing to wrap your head around. Um, and again, I've, I've always taken that for granted, just like, okay, it's this sort of Western European mythos and okay, like I'm descended from Western European people and okay, cool. That's how the world works. And it's not. And so, um, so I think it's, it's really like, I, I'm so glad that we have this like widening set of perspectives in all kinds of literature. Right. Um, and I, I, I'm thinking about it from the fantasy lens right now, because it's been especially prevalent over the past few years with a lot of really awesome and amazing writers coming out with these incredible stories. So, yeah. And do you read the acknowledgements when you're reading a book? Oh, always. Um, and you and I talked about this a little bit before we started chatting here that I thought this was such a cool idea to to dig into that section of the book because it's fascinating, right? To see and like which writers are friends with other writers or who do they thank or how do they thank them? Or like sometimes they talk about their process in it. Sometimes sure. they talk about, um, you know, kind of, they got this grant and they went here and they did all this research there. And you're like, Oh, I see where that came into the book. So it's such a cool way to get some insight into the book and the writer. So I thought this was super awesome uh, that you came up with this idea to look at the, the acknowledgements in books. And it's actually funny that you, you say um, about authors, like thinking other authors, because a friend was just telling me she read a book where someone was like thinking another author. So I guess, you know, who are your big influences and influencers in writing and reading? Yeah, uh, well, I mentioned um, Ari Salvatore earlier. That that was certainly a big early one. And comedically, P.G. Wodehouse, unquestionably. Um, but I, you know, I, I'm a Victorian lit guy, right? So Dickens and all those cats. I read Dracula when I was like eight. Uh, I think that's what started my unnatural affinity for like awkward sexual tension in Victorian melodrama. Um, so yeah, I was a weird kid. Um, so so I love all that stuff. Um, Sherlock Holmes has been a big like go-to for me. That sort of um, developing of narrative and clues. And that's sort of how I got into plotting a little bit more. More recently, I've started to read uh, a lot of fantasy authors like uh, Alex Harrow and H.G. Perry, who are just these phenomenal storytellers. Um, I just read Alex Harrow's book, The Once and Future Witches, which is like the best book I've read in like the past five years. Because it's like this book that it, 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 it's, it's one of those books that just sort of snaps you into the moment. And it's, it's about this, these three sisters. And they are sort of separated and then they get reunited. And they all have uh, these witching powers. And it takes place in this sort of New England town in, in the late 1800s. And uh, it's a very, um, uh, not a very uh, great environment for women to be in, right? Um, it's, it's a very male-dominated town and women have few opportunities. And there's this sort of um, undercurrent of it that's like, it's so brilliantly paired with like what we're seeing now where we have all of these like, men in control of stuff who are doing terrible things with their authority. Um, and there's this just sort of undercurrent of rage and rebellion in it. And it's just, ah, it's just like, 
makes you feel things, which is really cool. So, um, so I'm loving her work and, and gobbling up everything of hers that I can. Um, but yeah, so it's a mix of kind of, uh, you know, very, very old dead authors um, and authors who are, who are uh, emerging now and really becoming big at this point. And when you're picking up a book now, are you reading it on like a Kindle or a device or are you picking up a hard copy of a book? Uh, a little of both. Um, I will say like the Kindle was the lifesaver for me when I had when my kids were born, because like my son especially was very colicky and he didn't sleep more than a few hours at a time. And so there were a lot of late nights in his room just walking around them or rocking him. And being able to read one handed in the dark was clutch. I read a lot of books when my son was a baby because of the Kindle that I wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. So um, I'm incredibly grateful to Kindle technology for that. And it's certainly easier on the commute. But since we moved into this house, the first thing I did is like we built a library uh, and it's amazing. It's the greatest. It's, it's got a globe with scotch inside of it. Oh, right? like, come on. Come on. Right. <laughs> I've sat in it like three times because there's no time. But anyways, the point is I have an awesome library. And so um, I had kind of stopped collecting books because there just was nowhere to put them. Now I have a cool place to put them. So I've kind of gotten back into, at least for authors that I love or books that I'm really excited about, getting hard copies of books and putting those back on the shelf. So it's kind of a mix of things. So does that mean, Sean, that you will go into your lovely library with the, with the Globe and reread books? Will you take things off the shelf and reread them? I used to reread stuff all the time and now I, I never do because there's so much I want to read and there's just no time to read, but I do occasionally just grab a book off the shelf and I'll read a paragraph or a page just to kind of like, especially if I just kind of want to feel the vibe of that book. I don't have time to sit down and read it, but I kind of want to just revisit the, the feel of yeah. that story. Um, it's nice to just sort of pick something up, especially since a lot of these books were in storage for years. And yeah. so it's like, now they're back on my shelf. And I'm like, Oh, I remember that book from when I was 12 and I can pick it off the shelf and read it. So what's a book that's like natural for you to do that with, to just grab and read? Uh, I do that a lot with, with um, Sherlock Holmes. That's a, that's a big one. I'll just sort of pick up and grab. Um, but also just sort of like really old school fantasy authors like um, Terry Brooks and David Eddings. Um, I'll grab that stuff. So those are the ones that I tend to grab off the shelf. And, and then what's next for you as a writer? <laughs> uh, well, God willing, I'll have time to write at some point. I mean, I literally, since the pandemic started and my commute went away, I've written, I did write a short story that came out in an anthology last fall, um, uh, which is a really cool idea. It was, um, it's an anthology called Dragons of a Different Tale. And the pitch was, we're going to include stories about dragons, but they can't be dragons in sort of a traditional Western fantasy setting. You've got to do something different with them, right? Either you have to pull dragons from a different culture or you have to take the dragon and put it in a totally different setting. Naturally, I put mine in a Victorian setting. <laughs> um, and so it's sort of a um, BBC style Sherlock-esque story um, with a dragon in it. And so that was a lot of fun. It, it's really interesting how the the pandemic and everything obviously has influenced all things, but it, it's real, really certainly influenced me as a reader and even the kinds of things I'm sometimes picking up or deciding not to pick up because I feel like there's sometimes just so much that's so hard and emotionally draining that I kind of want to just read something light 
Um, and so that was, it was interesting as I'm reading your book, I was like, I think this is exactly what I need <laughs> is kind of an entire book of like, you know, dad jokes and adventures and that kind of thing. Um, but it, it really has influenced what I'm picking up nowadays is sometimes I just, I, I can't bring myself to read something that's going to be what I typically used to read, which was kind of, you know, this sad coming to age, like all right. this hardship kind of thing It kind of has a happy ending ish. But that was typically what I'd read. And now sometimes I'm like, I, I can't do it. I need to like, just read like a love story or just something kind of light and funny. Do you ever feel, do you ever feel guilty about that? Do you ever feel like, oh, I really should read this great book, but I just want to go read fluff. Totally. 100%. <laughs> I have, I have um, you know, I actually, so the, the last time I went to a bookstore, I like picked up this book called They're There. And the reason I picked it up is it's talking about all these Native American communities and it's um, all these different characters it's going to follow, but it's not going to necessarily all just obviously be, you know, just kind of like a fun light book. And mm -hmm. it sounds wonderful and beautiful and um. I, I'm, I'm like, I need to like emotionally prepare myself to, to read it. So I definitely feel guilty about it because I'm like, oh, I'll just like, you know, pick up this like rom-com book instead for now until I'm ready for it. Yeah, I, I totally understand. And you're right. It is fascinating how, how things have, things that you wouldn't like, it's certainly not the top concern for any of us, right? Like our reading habits are not the thing right. that are, you know, oh, <laughs> woe is us, our reading habits yes. are <laughs> I'm going to clutch my pearls. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it is, it is amazing how that trickles down and, and it just affects everything uh, and then it changes. And then like in a year, are we going to go back to reading that stuff or are we still going to be, yeah, I, I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, you'll just have to keep writing your, your style of books and your comedic fantasies so that we, we still have something, you know, light and easy and fun to read. I'll, I'll do what I can to help the world. <laughs> Well, Sean, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining me today and telling me uh, a little bit about, you know, more about the book and your characters and, of course, your acknowledgments. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for getting curious about the acknowledgments. And remember to read from cover to cover. Check out the acknowledgments on Facebook, Instagram, or theacknowledgments.com. There you'll find more information on the books and authors that I talk about here.